1: Well, the U.S. might not be in a great place right now with the COVID-19 virus taking a long time to slow down there and so far the highest number of fatal casualties on the planet and then add police brutality, public riots and a president with a messiah complex. And there's obviously a lot to criticise about America right now. But what about in, you know, fairly normal times? Is the centre of the free world a place we should all aspire to, economically speaking? What's good and bad about the United States? It's a particularly important... In question for the uk because as they close the door on europe it's expecting to have a closer relationship than ever with the united states that's today on the Debanking economics podcast is the us all it's cracked up to be with professor steve keen i'm phil dobby welcome along So, Steve, the U.S. has given us Microsoft, Apple, Google, Tesla, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. They are responsible for the first moon landing, mobile phones, MRI scans, 3D printing, the nicotine patch, the map of the human genome, uh, dental floss, the circular saw, the combine harvester, the jackhammer, the safety pin, the dishwasher, uh, many, many more. And if you reckon they didn't, uh, weren't responsible for some of those, I'm sure Americans will say, Hey, but we put the patent in first. So it's ours. Get your hands off. But does that mean? I mean, clearly they've got innovation on their side, but, uh, and you know, supposedly they have the best standard of living in the world as well. According to the OECD Better Life Index, the average disposable income per capita in the United States is a little over 45,200 US dollars a year, much higher than the OECD average which is just 33,600 a year. That's quite a difference and uh, they certainly have the highest figure in the OECD. So there we are. That higher income per capita, that means better life, doesn't it? Surely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, better life as long as you don't get sick. Uh, one book that I've always had in my reading list but never actually read is called Don't Get Sick in America, and that's the uh, that's been the Achilles heel of the country for so long. And that's what's what makes the coronavirus quite a fascinating event because they don't really have a public health system. They have a private health system where you get health insurance if you're employed and you can pay for health services if you're wealthy. But if you're not employed and you're not wealthy, then basically you're on your own. And I think what you've got is uh, best put by... Um, J.K. Galbraith, all those years ago, and the, what he called the affluence state, when he talked about private affluence and public squalor, and that's the that's the defining feature of the American economy. Right. And it's now the public the public side that they they realise the dangers of squalor on the public. But side. obviously,
1: you get a lot of people saying, "Well, okay, it's, it, the 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 squalor side is a is a bit unfortunate, but it's a it's a byproduct of uh of of all the, you know the inherent wealth. And if you if you try to get rid of the squalor, then you hold back the the generation of wealth for everybody." else. So, uh, you know, you might have some people who have fallen by the wayside, but rather that than having – than everyone – sort of somewhere in the middle. I'll give an example. Uh, a CBS website, Market Watch, Ed, Ed Yardney, uh, who writes, uh, provides global investment strategies to rich Americans. So he's writing on a blog, American household to enjoying record standards of living. This is before the uh, virus. Income stagnation is a myth. Income equality, inequality isn't a myth, but an inherent characteristic of free market capitalism, an economic system that awards the biggest prizes to those entrepreneurs who benefit the most consumers with their good Goods and services. Perversely, inequality tends to be greatest during the periods of widespread prosperity. Rather than bemoaning that development, we should celebrate that so many households are prospering, even if a few are doing so more than the rest of us. So in other words, uh, if you've got a few people who are doing doing badly, that's because uh, lots of people are doing well, and that's the American way. Yeah, I
0: mean the, the thing I'll give America great credit for is that um Having failed in the past is not a stigma that carries with you in the future, and that's one thing which Sean <laughs> argued for strongly, that uh, you need to have the capacity to fail in order to be able to succeed over time. And America does have that uh, philosophy to some extent. So the capacity to be an entrepreneur, of course, that word the French don't have, according to George W. Bush, um, <laughs> that French word the French don't know. Um, and that's another great opportunity in America. You can be stupid and still be president. <laughs> that's true. And look how well that's done with that. <laughs> Stupidest person on the planet is now. <laughs> In fact, it seems to be a prerequisite these days. It does indeed. Yeah, like even senility maybe the next round for Biden going for the damn campaign. But yeah, um, <laughs> it, it it is that that sense of you know they call free dumb. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm substituting the o, the o with the U there. But that that that's a desire to be an entrepreneur um, and the existence of structures that encourage it. Uh, everything from Silicon Valley at one extreme to the very in, in sense, very sensible and very American idea of Chapter 11, where you can get protection from banks to try to trade your way out of it. I don't think there's anything like Chapter 11 protection anywhere else in the world, and that means that you you have a buffer if you find yourself going bankrupt in a way that the rest of the yeah. world doesn't. Provide.
1: Although, I mean, they are, they are starting to get smarter about it, aren't they, in other parts of the world, if a company's going under... Don't take, uh, let's not throw it straight into administration. Uh, let's give you the ability to trade your way out of it in the same way that, you know, the, the philosophy behind Chapter 11. So uh, uh, this this inequality within America is, is often pointed to. I mean, particularly if you look at uh, the public health systems that we, we have, we, we're used to in other countries. But actually, I wonder whether it's overplayed. So if you look at the Gini coefficient, which is a you know, recognised measure of uh, of income disparity, it's 0.39 for America, which is not too dissimilar to the UK, which is 0.36. So I wonder whether that's overplayed. It, in reality. No, not for those two, but what, you know, what about
0: other countries like France, for example, or Belgium, or uh, Germany? Do they have uh, you know, substantially more equal distributions of income?
1: Well, France is 0.31, so 0.31 versus 0.39, so that is a little bit different, 0.32 for Germany, but not mass, still not massive differences, so I'm wondering whether this whole inequality thing, which is the first thing we think of when we think of the United States, I'm just wondering whether it is overplayed, because there are places which where it is much greater. I, I, I think, the, to me, the inequality um is there there's
0: a level of inequality which is actually attractive for uh, being an entrepreneur and that's that's the selling point in favor of it but there's the level yeah. of inequality driven by the level of financialization of the american economy uh, which means that you get uh, you know, a massive increase in the amount of money going to rentiers, not going to entrepreneurs, and that to me is a real danger. I don't, I don't mind inequality where I'm looking at somebody at the top of the tree who has done enormous amount of innovation. So, you know, again, people like Musk, like, uh, like Bozo. Uh, Bozos, pardon yeah. me, even Gates, <laughs> um, you, you have... You well, have, I mean, you could
1: argue it's an opportunity, couldn't you, It's yeah. for, for people to, to aspire to that level. And that's, and that's... You've got that in...
0: Yeah, but to aspire to be uh, the head of Goldman Sachs or Morgan and Stanley and the and the rapacious uh, financial sector where it's basically selling debt to the rest of us that's caused the level of inequality, uh, that's the sort of aspiration I don't want to see. And I think America uh, used to be sort of 70-30, uh, the entrepreneurial... Uh, Versus the frontier. Now I'd say it's thirty seventy, and it's only you know remarkable individuals like Bozos and like like Musk, which they still sell the overall argument that inequality is good for innovation. Uh, but most of that money is going to the you know to the as we we're talking with uh, Blair Fix recently to the elite at the top of large corporate hierarchies who didn't have an innovated in their lives apart from the way
1: they managed to shaft their rivals in the back on the way to the top. But innovation needs the finance sector, doesn't it, to 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 fund it. Uh, if you look at uh, seed funding by venture capitalists in the last decade or so through the roof in the United States compared with the EU or Israel or the rest of the world. So it seems if you've got an idea... And you want to make money, you do it in the United States, particularly if it's software or mobile tech, technology or stuff to do with big data or fintech, all that sort of stuff. You do it in the United States, which is another reason why the United States economy does so well. All this stuff gravitates there.
0: Yeah, and that, that, that's the major argument for funding. Yeah, it, it's 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 that capacity to provide funding for entrepreneurs, an environment which you can be you can risk becoming one and not be wiped out for the rest of your life, uh, whether that's financially or by stigma. Uh, that's that's the advantage in. Americans have uh, over the rest of the world. Uh, it's it, it's more that the non-economic side of America that I worry about in terms of its uh, capacity to screw itself up. Uh, the religious side of the country, the militaristic side of the country, the extent to which they think they're liberating the rest of the world when they invade them and drop bombs on them on them. Uh, that's that's more the sort of schizophrenic side of America that worries me and makes me think it's, it's – if it's the greatest place country on the planet, I wish it was on another
1: planet. <laughs> so, so we didn't have to live with it. but that, 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 mm. Fundamentally, think, yeah. On that innovation thing, though, the fact that, you know, this is the place to go to get funding, why is that? Why, why couldn't Australia, for example – I've often wondered about this – Uh, You know, Australia's got a stable economy. I mean, we might moan about the politicians, but by and large, you know, they're they're better than the American politicians. And, uh, you know, decent climate, nice big houses. um, You know, what could possibly go wrong? Why, Why wouldn't you, if you were innovating and you could innovate anywhere in the world, why wouldn't you do it on the northern beaches in Sydney rather than... Seattle for example Well there I've actually got some personal
0: experience And it's because the Australian financial sector And the Australian bureaucracy Is anti-local innovation They think we should be doing our comparative advantage Which is digging up ore and, she- and, and, she- and, she- and shearing sheep and sending it overseas Yeah. Uh, ever heard of a company called Dol- 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 Dolmycin? No, never Okay, they went back over 20 years ago, but the Dolmison Company produces the Dolmont Magnum computer, which is the world's first, uh, genuine portable computer weighing four kilos. Uh, with an LCD screen, uh, with, with, with ROM packages that the, that the programs run on, uh, which weighed four kilos at the time when the compact, when it came out, which is the first portable, luggable computer of any real power, weighed about 20 kilos. Um, so you had this genuine portable, genuine laptop computer built in that, in that well known hotbot of, of, uh, innovation. Guess the town, you won't get it. So I'll tell you, it's Gosford. Wow. Okay. okay. Uh, then there's a company called Titel, which made the world's best phones. I've still yet to see a phone that rivals it. There was no physical hook. It had a magnetic hook. Uh, you had a built-in uh, a speaker system inside the phone, a hundred stored memories, LCD display. That went bankrupt because the Australian bureaucracy undercut it by importing a phone from China that they claimed they were importing from Malaysia to take advantage of developing country bonuses. Uh, so I've seen, and I, I bought uh, these devices myself at the company for the um, uh, part of the government bureaucracy I was working for at the time. Actually, all the things part of the Department of Trade. So I've seen this actually anti-innovative mm. uh, philosophy because of this obsession about comparative advantage. Wow. So in that sense, you've got it was Schumpeterian style of capitalism in America where it's all about innovation, taking risk and change, and a neoclassical mindset in Australia that, that bulldozed genuine attempts at innovation.
1: Yeah, and so Gosford now basically has the – uh, RSL, massive RSL club. And that's about it, really. Lots of shut up shops. They've got the RSL where you've got to uh, stand at five o'clock and uh, swear allegiance to the Queen, uh, possibly mm-hmm. living in the past a little bit. And that's the thing, isn't it? America is much more future focused. Although I wonder whether it's, yeah. it's going to lose some of that, uh, that innovative uh, edge because the EU Innovation Scoreboard. Uh, looks at inov- indicators of innovation, such as the availability of finance, which obviously America will, will score well on, investments mm-hmm. actually made by firms in R&D, the proportion of firms that are actually introducing innovation, education levels uh, relevant to innovation, uh, cited research documents in those countries, the impact of innovation on employment and sales, and um it's got the eu surprisingly and the us neck and neck in terms of innovation if you give them an index of 100 uh, and compare it to south korea south korea is on 137 canada is on 118 australia is on 112 just ahead of japan on 111 so by that mark the us might be losing some of its edge there it's actually below those countries is it so it, yeah it's uh, yeah the united states is on 100 south korea is on 137 australia's on 112 by their index I wow. mean, you know, you, you can always okay, argue I'd, what the I'd, I'd, constituent parts are. I'd
0: argue, I'd argue about Australia's ranking there because Australia in terms of the economic complexity index is down about just above yeah, Senegal. Yeah, right. But um, so, well, let's so look at the, South Korea I'd, because
1: South Korea, obviously, places like that, uh, mm. you know, we are seeing a lot of innovation. And obviously China as well. Mm.
0: Yeah. So I, I think – and, and it, it can be an environment where there's a state uh, emphasis – uh, whereas the American argues its, it's, it's state is, is laissez-faire the states actually set up the system that gave you the capacity to innovate things like the bankruptcy laws of chapter 11 and stuff like that that wasn't designed by a corporation it was designed by the government bureaucracy with an eye to it so the, China can do a similar thing uh, and certainly South Korea has been extremely successful there. there's so many products we can see in these days that are South Korean in origin the Samsungs of the world and so on uh, the huge production of, of, of uh, of integrated circuits, there as, as well, uh, and vehicles now. So, yeah, innovation doesn't. Uh, Americans don't have a monopoly on
1: that anymore. Um, yeah.
0: So, but you, it, it is
1: a, it is a question of commercializing it, isn't it? And uh, and, and whether and, you know which which system works best, and it, it does become you know, is it small government or big government, which is going to be the, the most productive in in the long term? And you know, sixteen percent of people work in the public sector in uh, in the United States compared to twenty-two percent in the UK, for example. Um, so you know this focus on privately run businesses. For example, health is an interesting one because that twenty-two percent of the of the people in the UK working uh, in the public sector, a chunk of that will be accounted for by by public health. Whereas in, in America, a lot of those health uh, companies will be private businesses employing people. So. I mean, I'm sure many many people in America would argue. Well, that's fine. Why shouldn't uh, private businesses run health? Because they probably will run it better. Well,
0: that's but that's mac on them right now with the
1: coronavirus. Because right again, because they've not done the research. Yeah, but well, on, the, on a day to day operational basis, if you hadn't, if you didn't didn't have that slight problem, then um, you know they would argue that uh, well, that's fine.
0: No, there's a bit like the old joke about Abraham uh, Lincoln. Apart from the apart from the uh, well, that Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? Um, I'm sorry, this is one this, this <laughs> public public health maybe one, one of the best areas to say where well, you should have public provision of it overall mm-hmm. uh, because it means it takes the risk out of out of going wrong in the rest of your life, and that's that's the trouble. Americans uh, have if a financial risk is one thing, and Americans are very good at coping. with with that overall the culture is good with it medical risk that's another scary one entirely and that that partly uh, encourages people to stay with the firm they're with and not move outside because they don't want to lose their medical yeah, insurance um, so i think they're you know you've, you've got to look at it, the, the tapestry here and i think on the on that particular part of the economic tapestry they've got it entirely yeah, and wrong.
1: millions of course now have lost that uh, insurance because they've lost their jobs and even before that uh, life expectancy figures: uh, eighty-two is the uh, life expectancy in the UK. Uh, in the United States, it's seventy-nine. In Canada, it's eighty-three. In Japan, it's eighty-five. Six years longer than an American.
0: Yeah, so that, uh, yeah. that
1: yeah, that, that that that's not showing that the health system is working that well.
0: No, that's the thing. I think it's it's, it's um, you know, bearing bearing America is good for your for your wealth and bad for your health. And, uh, and what's going to matter as time goes forward, I think is more the health side of things than the wealth side of things. And that is where America really has to get its act together in the next decade or it, it, it may find its, its great advances being you know, taken out from underneath it because what you need at the moment is, is public, uh, public provision of health and you need public action to under, to reduce the damage you've done to the climate. And the, on that front, I think America is very badly placed. But-
1: you know we still look at america as uh, the place with a, you know where you go for a decent standard of living i'm not I, 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 when i was growing up I, that was certainly the sense that if you wanted to have a better standard of living move to america i actually moved to australia and i think i made a better choice there because i think the standard of living in australia is way better than it is uh, in in america but by and large most americans would be horrified at the idea that people think they haven't got the best li- standard of living in the world I think they they believe that. And you know they've got big houses. The average house size is 201 square meters in America. Uh, it's 76 (laughs) in the UK. So, I mean, they're going towards an average house size, which is three times the size of what it is in the UK. And in Australia, it's even bigger, 214 square metres. So if you measure your lifestyle by how big your house is, uh, America and Australia are the places to live. Yeah, and, and,
0: and that's one of the troubles about trying to measure all this. You're trying to add together so many disparate things. Um, but I, th- I think overall, I'd say the UK is in a pretty bad situation, having spent a bit of time there and, and having made the move from Australia inside the same career. Uh, I, I actually cross-checked this with some Australian friends also in academia. We all pretty much agree with our salaries, our effective salary standard of living from going from Australia to the UK fell by 40% um so the UK is far lower than Australia on that front America again, looking at in the same industry salaries standard living seems much higher for academics overall in America despite many other problems about it in terms of security uh, the standard living is higher uh, and the, the even though you, you you have you don't have a great deal of power over there because you don't have uh, tenure uh, as an academic as a matter of course this can happen in Australia I think, that overall, they, there is a, a higher standard of living in that industry. So, you know, U, the US comes out ahead, but I think it comes out in a very fragile way, and its main weakness is the lack of public provision mm. of health. And it's
1: difficult. I actually say there's so many factors, and I'm very aware that in the UK you are worse off than you are in America or, or Australia, but… You have beautiful countryside. You have great pubs. You know, there's lots of things which you just can't. Uh, OK, I mean, absolutely crap weather in winter, but in summer, uh, you know, cycling through country lanes in England, it's like nowhere else in the world. And it's difficult. You know, that's when it's difficult to measure these things, isn't it? You might pay pay more to, uh, to, to live here, but there, there's some payoffs as well. And then, you know, so then you just have to then you you sort of search around for statistics try to find out where is the best place to live. And you think, well, OK, if I don't want to get shot, um, then I could live anywhere else almost apart from, uh, well, maybe not uh, Barbados, which actually has one of the highest rates, believe it or not. But, uh, you know, the United States, the murder rate is five per 100,000 inhabitants in um it's it's i think it's 1.2 in the UK and not 0.9 in Australia so in the united states you are more than 5 times as likely to be shot or killed as you are in australia and it, despite that the incarceration rate in the world is is highest in the united states half the world's prison population is in the united states the leader of the of the free world has more people who aren't free 2 million people in prison <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. it, I mean, it's you know, there's good numbers and bad numbers, but you know, for for all of that innovation and opportunity in the United States, there's also a lot taking that away from you. Yeah, and that's the that's the again, the inequality isn't just on a financial level; it's on
0: uh, your, 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 your overall sense of freedom uh, is if is very affected by whether you're white or black, uh, whether you're uh, you know wealthy or poor. Um, it's it's got more divisions, I think, than any. Any co, any, any nation on the planet, you find more sense of division in America, but more of a shared ideology about the country as well, which, which is one of these weird elements that the, the whole place. So an ex, my ex wife had a, a a theater colleague who put on a a review I would have loved to see. I absolutely love the poster for it. And it was, what's a nice country like you doing in a state like this? I'm afraid that's always the way I think about America when I consider it it's got so much potential and so many good things about it and Americans in general are a very uh, uh, friendly culture but holy hell what they do to themselves and what they do to the rest of the world is said, I'd like I wish they were on another planet. So what is that shared ideology then that you of which you speak? <laughs> It is the belief that it is the best country in the world, and, and also they're, mm. they're spreading freedom to the rest of the world. Um, and, and, and of course, this, this whole idea that freedom means in putting your military bases elsewhere in the world, uh, and, and that's accepted as part of what America should do. I think there was—I uh, think it was uh, Korea who was head of the ec- Ecuador was approached about having a military base or. They said about the renewal of the military base in Ecuador at the time, and he said, well, ''I'm willing to renew the military base as long as, as, long as you let me, me establish one in in Florida.'' For the Ecuadorian army, well, that didn't go down all that well, and that was exactly Korea's intention. Um, so the extent to which they have an ideology, which is the opposite of what they do globally, they believe they're spreading freedom when they're, you know, have supported more of the mm-hmm. dictators of the planet and caused more breakdowns than, anywhere, than any any other nation. It's just that, that disconnect between what they what they believe they're doing and what they're actually doing. And I'm going to show my age by mentioning a, a brilliant uh, Cobb cartoon, which had a um, uh, an aid worker arm, which is the left arm of a, of a body, uh, feeding somebody who was being choked by the right arm, which is a military arm. And the the, 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 uh, the Mexican, I think it was, said back, "Excuse me, Senor, does your left arm know what your right arm is doing?"
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And look, Americans aren't as satisfied as they they used to be. There's been a Gallup poll running since 1980, asking the same question, are you satisfied or dissatisfied with the way things are going in the United States at this time? And around the turn of the century, it was up around 70. Uh, it fell uh, to, to, down to seven uh, in 2008, and since, from seven, from 70. Since then, uh, it's been in the, the mid to late 30s although it has actually – it did hit a peak just before the coronavirus at 45. So Donald Trump has picked it up from the mid-30s up to 45. So, uh, you know, people are more satisfied. But 70 at the turn of the century. So that shows then, you know, the the, the attitude in, in America has changed. And it is interesting, isn't it? Because if you ask almost every nationality what is the best country in the world, most people will say – if you ask an Australian, they're going to go, oh, it's Australia, mate. And ask a Brit, they'll say, well, obviously the UK. Obviously, the UK is the <laughs> best place to live in the world. Um, you know, but people are patriotic all around the world, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I guess there are some countries that I know where the majority want to leave the country itself. Um, Romania was in that case for a long time, probably still is. Um, but yeah, in general, you tend to, you know, you. you you regard where you grew up because it's where you're most comfortable as the best place in the world. It's, it's where you feel at home because it is your home. Um, mm. so that is, that is part of the, the bias. And of course, Americans project that more because being the politically dominant and economically dominant country on the planet, uh, they project that attitude over the entire planet in a way that the rest of the world can't do. I mean, we don't sit around watching Chinese movies, uh, watching people salute as the flag gets raised. Um, so. That's, that's why they've spread that attitude and why they're surprised when anybody is critical about what it'd be like to live in, live in America. But speaking as somebody who had the choice at one point, that was the last place on the planet I wanted to end up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was given the opportunity as well. And I. Uh, I, I I turned it down because I wanted to stay living in Australia. The company I was working for wanted to post me over to New York but I said no i'll I'd rather leave the company, which is actually what I did but um at just a, a final point when we look at trade then I mean how much of the uh of the u s wealth and standard of living? Is driven by the high level of international trade. Okay, it's got a massive deficit, which obviously Donald Trump is trying to do away with. Uh, but obviously, the classic argument is that if you've got a high level of international trade, that helps companies grow and it gives consumers great choice. It doesn't necessarily matter if you're a country like America, where you you know you're the country's reserve currency whether you've got this uh, this this balance of trade deficit just more trade means more choice and and more opportunity doesn't it and and it's that part of america's strength it's just such a big economy it can't fail Well, I mean, that's uh, one of the best arguments I've seen for why America became dominant
0: is the fact that it's got this enormous open uh, landscape. It's uh, Between the the, the Rockies on one side and the Appalachians on the other, you've got this enormous flat plain that is perfect for uh, transporting goods from one city to another and means you can get gigantic economies of scale. And in partly the European Union was driven by the desire to, to match that economy of scale and then have a United States of Europe. They've botched it completely and how they've gone about doing it. But it was right. that so you're bit. saying
1: that they could they could do better if they had a, a more more of a domestic economy rather than real yeah. economy.
0: And, and and that's what America did. I mean America the, the great expansion of America was expansion from the from the east to the west and the fact that as you as you grew you got a larger and larger market, greater and greater economies of scale. And uh, in America industrialized under a protectionist barrier, which uh, Michael Hudson covers brilliantly in "America's Protectionist Takeoff," and and that's what gave it that industrial strength. So it's the sheer scale of right. the place, and in some ways we're seeing that replicated with China
1: now, because China has a comparable scale and a, and a, to some extent a comparable landscape. Yeah, and China obviously trying to grow their domestic economy as well, very much so now. So and uh, and obviously that's what Donald Trump wants to do as well. You know, they're both going. Uh, so th- in a way, they're both almost agreeing uh, let's do less trade between ourselves let's focus more on our domestic economies maybe they'll both do well out of that
0: No, I think the Chinese a little better than the Americans because the Americans have uh, undermined their um, capacity to some degree by by putting their industrial uh, power in the secondary role role of the financial sector. The Chinese are are doing the industrial manufacturing thing and I think
1: that's what's going to stand them instead in the next decade. And also they haven't got to contend with this uh, slight... uh, diversion of a virus which is killing lots of people yeah
0: ironically that's the place that
1: originated is the place that's mo- most free of it all right so in conclusion i don't know is is uh, is, is america the uh, be all and end all is should we be looking at should country because the, the what got me starting to mm. think about this question is is the u.s all it's cracked mm. up to be it's because a lot of economies like the uk for example you know, it's it's often a question asked: How can we be more like America, rather than the question: Well, should we be more like America? Do we want to be more like America?
0: Mm, I think well, if America is more like the rest of the world in terms of its health system, it might be more sensible to emulate the rest of America. That's the that's my 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 bottom line. I I wouldn't want to live in America for its health system. Uh, I would love to, love to live there for its its uh, its encouragement of entrepreneurial entrepreneurial activity. Um, but at the moment, uh, the trade-off between the two is even more extreme. I think in favour of public health rather than the
1: entrepreneurial side of things. Sign of your age, Steve. You're looking at that. You're looking at that life yeah, expectancy. Probably right. Sixty-seven. <laughs> yeah. Expect- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you, oh, it's getting a bit close now. Uh, maybe I'll mm. maybe I'll move to Japan. Um, <laughs> good to talk, Steve. Catch you again soon. OK, mate. OK, bye. Uh, next time, there have been some crazy ways of adding stimulus to economies to try and get uh, out of the ravages of COVID-19. Like, for example, uh, a grant for people who are spending a lot of money on their doing up their house to get even more government money to make their extensions even bigger. Uh, how's that going to help the little guy? Uh, we'll look at that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane I'm Phil Dobby. See you then.